It's a new day and time for another NCEA podcast. Before we begin, try and guess which diocese our guest is from today. Here's your hints. This archdiocese is in the New England region of the country. Serving over 32,000 students in schools, last year it was our ninth largest diocese in the country. It is the largest of the four dioceses in its state with over a hundred schools. Join me on a virtual tour to Brighton, Massachusetts, as we visit the Roman Catholic Archdiocese of Boston. I'm Laura MacDonald, and this is NCEA Podcast. Joining us today is Anne Crane of St. Colm Kill Partnership School. Hi, how are you? <laughs> so happy to be here. We're glad to have you. Welcome to Miss Crane's classroom, and thank you, Anne, for joining us for the NCEA podcast today. We're glad you're here as well. You are my first early childhood educator guest, so I'm excited for our early childhood listeners today, but knowing your background and your story, I believe you have so much to offer all our listeners as all early childhood educators do. So let's get started. Um, tell us about your background. Great. So um, I grew up a little bit in New York and then a little bit in New Hampshire. Um, and, you know, my parents took me to church on Sundays and I, I went to public school uh, for my education background. But um, I always just had this real desire to learn more about faith. And um, I was just really interested in it. So I uh, went on to study study religion. That's that's where my background mostly lies in education, is religious education. Very good. And what led you to a career in early childhood education? Um, well, it's interesting. So I went to school for theology. I I got my um, I got my undergrad degree in religion and theater uh, at Fairfield University, and then I went on to do. Um, I did a year of service in Chicago where I was teaching pre-K and I really liked that. And then I went on to go to grad school at the School of Theology and Ministry at Boston College and I got my master's in divinity. And um, I really thought I was going to be teaching adults. Uh, I thought I would be a professor or a writer um, and all of those things are very important. But um, during an internship I was doing for the STM, I came to St. Columkill School and I worked as a campus minister for the school and working with the little kids, I, I was just struck by how this, this seemed so much more important to me um, because it was really where the rubber hits the road of our faith. And so I, I, I really appreciated that. And I just, you know, I worked for a few years for, um, for a parish in faith formation and I just felt that call, that vocation to come and work at a school. And so been here ever since. <laughs> And how long have you been there? Um, this is my, well, my eighth year in this classroom, uh, being the being an early childhood teacher. But with that um, internship that I did, that was that was 12 years ago. So I really started working here 12 years ago. So I, I love this school. It's a really special place. So tell us about this school. Yeah. Uh, St. Columkill is, uh, it's a Catholic school in Brighton. So it's a, it's a neighborhood school. It was founded by, um, the sisters of St. Joseph in 1901. So it's, it's an old building. It's yes. been updated. Um, some of our, some of our, uh, some of our, um, Doors had to be updated this year, and our, our locksmiths were like, "Wow, this is an old school." <laughs> um, so we're a, a 
we're still updating all the time our school, but um, we have so many wonderful traditions that date back so long. And uh, we have many different cultures and languages spoken at our school. Kids come from all over the city. So um, lots of different socioeconomic backgrounds. And uh, it's it's just really a wonderful community where we we look to Jesuit values and um, with a lot of help from the Archdiocese and Boston College, we, we um, really have built a, a community uh, that is uniquely Catholic, but very open and welcoming. So tell us about that partnership you have with Boston College that you mentioned. Yes, this is a fantastic thing. So in, in 2006, our school, like so many other Catholic schools, um, was was losing numbers. Uh, they were having some, some trouble with enrollment. So um, we were going to close as a school. Um, and uh, BC heard about this. And with a collaboration between the Archdiocese and Boston College and our parish, uh, we were able to keep the doors open um, through this amazing partnership with Boston College. So they were able to help um, our teachers all receive master's degrees, which is incredible. I received a master's degree in early childhood ed from BC. Um, and they also uh, work with us. They give us coaching. Um, they'll work with us on uh, on our curriculums. They'll help us, uh, I'm sure financially, although that's above my pay grade. I don't know about that element of it as <laughs> no much. Promises. Uh, <laughs> no promises. Um, but they really helped us in so many ways. Um, just sort of reorganize. And now we're, I can say we are bursting at the seams. Uh, we have, our enrollment is up to, to 400 now, over 400. Wow. And um, we're really uh, looking for more space <laughs> because uh, it's, we've had to um, change a few rooms. We had to do some um, construction projects just to, to keep all of the students in a classroom. We have, it's, we're very lucky. So Those are good part. issues to have at a school. Definitely. Yes. So not only do you have a partnership with Boston College, you are you are named a laboratory school for Boston College. And I think yes. you're the only laboratory school in Boston that's a pre-K through eight. Tell us about that. What yes. does that mean? So that's relatively new. Um, that happened in 2018. Um, and uh, BC and our board decided that we would become a... Uh, a lab school. And what this means is uh, the PhD students at BC and other uh, professors at BC can work with the teachers at our school to work on research projects to uh, benefit their their study, their research. And at the same time, we are getting a lot out of that, uh, that lab program as well, because we could request projects being done. So for example, especially post-COVID, a lot of teachers were wondering, how do we put a focus on social and emotional learning in our classrooms while not interrupting the academics that we do need to make up for that from what was lost during that time. And so BC came in and they were able to give us amazing coaching, amazing guides, and help us roll out several different uh, social emotional programs. And we're, we're, we're working with those now and they've been incredible. And so they support us and uh, we are able to support them in their research as well. What a wonderful opportunity. I see I see in here collaboration, I hear teamwork, communication, but I also um, that research piece is is wonderful. I know as a former educator and site administrator, anytime I had 
people that were in programs currently on my campus, it enriched our entire campus to have current research at our fingertips, to be talking about current practices and what's going on in our colleges. Um, that's just an amazing opportunity for your school. It really has been. We're, we're working right now. There's a great project that's happening. Um, John Wargo is a, a professor at Boston College, and he's doing a project that was requested by our staff uh, to, we're at this particular flashpoint in history in terms of race. It's, it's uh, in the news, it's on children's minds. In early childhood, not quite as much, but they, they get a sense that something's going on. Mm -hmm. And with the older kids, especially where we go up through eighth grade, they're asking a lot of questions about it. They're talking about it at home. And so how do we go about this in a safe way for students and make That's sure that we're doing this well? Uh, when there's new research coming out all the time. So we're so lucky to be working with uh, Dr. Wargo and his PhD students to be uh, looking at curriculum and making sure that we're doing this well. And we get to be at the cutting edge of this flashpoint in history where we're looking at, you know, diversity, equity, and inclusion um, in, within our classrooms from pre-K through eighth. It's, it's, a, it's a great opportunity. Very nice. Very nice. Um, we'll have to have another episode where we can discuss what you guys find out from all the research. Um, educational background. Your background is rich in theology, but not all teachers have this background. What do you say to teachers that are maybe nervous or feel underqualified to teach religion, especially to our younger ones? Yeah. I, I mean, I, I really feel that. I think parents and teachers uh, sometimes can feel very uh, underqualified to be, mm -hmm. to be teaching these things. These are big questions that we struggle with as adults. And I, I think that it's so important to realize that God does not call the qualified. God qualifies the called. Yes, um, yes. And I also think that when we look at what we're being asked to do, usually you will have a curriculum, but even if you don't, the kids want to hear your story. And we're very lucky to have a moment in a Catholic school. It's such a unique place to be where you can share your own faith with your students. And some teachers at, at your school might not be Catholic, but they do have a faith. And so that's all students need for a buy-in is to say, I, I'm interested in this. And then you open the book and say, well, this is what Catholics believe. So you have what you need to be able to teach religion. You have the answers. We, we have, we're very lucky um, in the Catholic church. We have this set of, of rules that we can refer to, but students want to know you as a teacher. So if you're able to share your faith journey, then you are as qualified as you need to be. Thank you for that. That's empowering. Everyone out there hear that? <laughs> I believe it as well. Okay, so we last time we spoke, you spoke a lot about how you incorporate units and gospel stories into your lesson plans. Can you talk mm. about your lesson design and, and give us some examples? I, I just, I, I can't wait for people to hear about what you're doing. And remember, this is early childhood, folks. <laughs> <laughs> yes, uh, we're very capable. <laughs> Yes, we are. <laughs> we are. Um, so when I, right now we're in a space where we're between curriculum for early childhood. So we were working with the curriculum and we want, we're, we're waiting on this other curriculum to be sent to us. So in the meantime, we're designing the lessons ourselves. And in early childhood, um, 
we start with the the baseline directives that the archdiocese gives us. So what are the the things we need to be looking at? Uh, Jesus had a family. God made you. God made the world. God made you special. Um, and so we're looking at just those. It, they're basics, really basic questions. And so when I look at those, then I look at our very busy day in early childhood, and I think about what are we already talking about? What's already on the kids' minds? So right now we're in, we do the OWL curriculum for literacy. We're talking about families. And so when I'm talking about families, I could just throw in there in a morning meeting, you know, Jesus had a family. And then I might pull out a picture book Bible. I might pull out my felt board. I might pull out a statue or a picture of the Holy Family and say, this is Jesus's family. Maybe put that picture up with our, we have a bulletin board of all of our student families. So maybe I put that up there too. So that's our starting off point um, is just to mention it within the realm of what we're already learning. And then what I like to do is I like to um, pull some picture books, some quality early childhood literature that might tie in. So they might be books that you already have in your classroom that the students might be familiar with. So if I'm talking about love in a family and how Jesus's family loved each other and how our families love each other, I might look at the book, Love You Forever. Um, uh, and Runaway Bunny, that's another one that people have in their classrooms. So it's these stories of, you know, sometimes we do the wrong thing, uh, but families love each other. You know, families work together. And so then we remind them while reading that story, you know, this is reminding me of Jesus and how Jesus had a family, just like us. Wow. You know, they, Jesus loved his family and we can love our family too. Then we have center time in, in early childhood. And so during centers, I might put out... Um, something that has to do with it. I might put out some people, like a people structure and talk about like, oh, let's let's build a family like Jesus's family. Who's in Jesus's family? And then we might put it together or we'll put out the felt board um, story and I'll have Mary and I'll have the different, the different characters. Um, but yeah, so I just, I try to uh, incorporate as many manipulatives as possible. So we got to find stuff that kids can use that are religious manipulatives that can't be broken, that aren't so precious that they, if they do break, we won't be sad. Um, but yeah, I, I try to, I also have, um, I have some puppets that sort of are incorporated in some stories. So depending what the story is, I try to incorporate those in. I try to look at what the gospel is the, on that Sunday. So if the students do go to church, they can make that connection either before or after. Sometimes they'll do it on the Friday and say, sneak peek, sneak peek of the gospel. You, if you go to church on Sunday, you might hear this story. And then that will give them uh, more engagement when they go to mass. Um, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. So I would imagine this could look very similar for those teaching the older grades. Do you have any recommendations on how you're tying in these re religious components into the regular school day? Sure. Um, I think in a very similar way, older kids would probably be using a curriculum. So I would look at that curriculum ahead of time. What are the things that you have to cover? Because we all know we don't have a lot of time in our day. So what are the, the elements that we really need to cover? If you're doing sacraments, you're doing sacraments, right? So you're a second grade teacher, you're doing the sacraments. So you make sure you get that information from the curriculum that you need to cover. Maybe tell a personal story about a sacrament you experienced, whether it's you witnessed a wedding. If you, if you yourself are not Catholic, you might have gone to a Catholic wedding. Maybe bring in a picture of your own baptism or your own um, first communion and engage the students that way, make it personal. And then I would say, um, look at a, a quality Bible. Um, 
and make sure that the kids have access to that throughout the day and take a look at the different places in the children's Bible where a sacrament might be taking place. Like look at the baptism of Jesus and say, well, Jesus was baptized as well. Um, and when you're looking much older at middle school, um, I would probably take a moment for prayer. Middle schoolers really connect well with prayer and with mm-hmm. service. So when we look at the, what is the gospel calling us to do in a prayerful moment at the beginning of the day, and then maybe think about what is the mission that Jesus is sending us on? What service can we go out and do? What question is being asked of us in this gospel? Um, and then move on from there. And that way you're still doing your curricular, what, what you need to do curricularly, but you, um, you're touching on that gospel, on the, those gospel values. So I hear drawing, you know, you've mentioned personal connection a lot. Um, I think that really helps get our, our students' attentions. You're drawing parallels to Bible stories and bringing in the gospel. Um, it sounds simple, and I know it's not, but you, you make it sound simple. And I think if people can go back and think about their curriculum in that way, they might be able to draw some very similar connections that you're drawing for your youngers and and just realizing um, your elementary school teachers must really love you because you are already touching on a lot of ELA standards with your little ones when you're comparing stories and spiraling ideas and concepts in that they're going to be teaching later um, that's yeah wonderful. I would I would I would always advise people especially in early childhood don't overthink it I think people are like, okay, religion, everybody's got to sit. We got to do a worksheet. We got to make sure we're getting these ideas. And it's, it's the same as you would, you would never teach an ELA lesson in early childhood that way. You might read the story out loud, but that's exactly what we're doing here. We're going to read the story and then we're going to do stuff about the story. So I, you know, I think every early childhood classroom should have, and most of them do have a dramatic play area. This is an early literacy skill. We're storytelling. We're building communication skills, social, emotional learning as well. But like if it's Christmas, my dramatic play area is going to be the nativity. I'm going to set up a barn. We're going to have costumes in there. So you could dress up as Mary, dress up as Joseph, have baby Jesus that they're taking care of. There's going to be animal costumes and they're going to be acting out, taking turns, taking on these roles, um, which is it's amazing to watch. That's how children learn to understand. They're understanding yes. these things. They're having these practice conversations. And this is their first experience of that story usually. And so it's just, it's, it's beautiful for me to watch. I'm constantly learning from them. Um, and it, it really bolsters my faith to see them learning in that way. But they're also, like you say, they're getting early learning, early literacy skills. So their academics are being bolstered by this piece. Everything is building on each other. So and, don't and what a it. great what a great way to assess them as well, because just observing them in play and giving them similar tools and um, costumes that correlate with the stories you're telling really also gives them an opportunity to use that academic vocabulary or that religious vocabulary that they're hearing in the stories and they're hearing you use. I'm sure you start to hear that in the nativity play area. (laughs) Yes. Yes. I mean, it's, it's interesting because there are, there are obviously very difficult moments in the gospel that would be very hard to talk to three-year-olds about, talk to four-year-olds about. Um, I, I think when you and I had last talked, we, I mentioned when we talk about Easter, 
um, that is hard. That's hard for kids to understand. We talk about, we have a crucifix in our classroom and kids don't really notice. They're not picking up on it until I start to mention it. And they're like, oh, I've seen that before. I've seen that cross. And then they're, they're looking around at our school and they're finding the crosses. But because kids learn through acting it out. So yes. we have seen many a beautiful <laughs> stations of the cross on the playground. It's just unprovoked. They're walking around pretending, pretending the whole thing. And so that's a lot. Um, yes. But we always make sure that we're focused on the hope that it is not scary. We are focused on um, this new life. Our, our faith in Jesus is that. And, and I have never had a child become upset when we talked about crucifixion. We, we talk about it and we always start with the ending that we're saying. And the, the end is good. Don't worry. <laughs> but he, did, he died and then he came back. And they're like, wow, that's great. So then they go on the playground, they pretend to die and they pretend to come back. It's interesting. <laughs> that's how, I mean, that's three and four year olds, right? So, right. Uh, right. So and helpful. What about manipulatives? I know man- manipulatives are important and you talked about your felt board a little bit. Any tips mm-hmm. or tricks that you have for our early childhood teachers out there? Yes. Um, I was gifted a felt board when I started and I didn't really know how to use it. But if you don't have a felt board, it has become so integral in what I do. Um, and, uh, typically a felt board will come with pieces. So I have like a bunch of rabbits and a bunch of dogs and things that don't really have to do with, they're helpful for counting, but not so much for, for Bible stories. So what I do is I will print out, um, pictures of the Bible story that I want to use, um, any of the reference points that I need. And if you, um, glue construction paper to the back of a picture, um, it will stick to felt. So you can use that as manipulatives on a felt board. So the children can use the felt board if you put it out at a center and they can retell the story with those pictures, kind of like a dollhouse, but flat, uh, if you haven't used a felt board before. But um, kids love this. They love to sit and retell the story. And sometimes the story changes, and which is very fun to watch. Um, (laughs) And so they, yes, it's, they're very midrashic, <laughs> uh, but we, uh, it's very fun to have, um, have this, have the felt board out and then they'll collaborative, uh, in a collaborative way, retell the story together at a center, which is, which is wonderful. I also use, um, stuffed animals. Kids love stuffed animals. And so, you know, I'll tell the lost sheep I'm looking over at my little sheep named Mike. Mike is a big part of our classroom. Whenever we tell a Bible story, Mike sits with me and he is sort of our mascot. He's a little sheep. And um, we will do an activity where every time I say, Mike, this is your area and you need to stay here. And I'll do that for the whole beginning of the year. Every time I will say, you know, I don't want you to get lost. So just stay in this area. (laughs) And then one day Mike is gone. And then we all have to look for the sheep. And we look and look and search and search. And then I say, oh, when we finally find him, we're very happy to find him. But then I say, should I yell at Mike? He did the wrong thing. I told him where to go and he did the wrong thing. And they say, oh, no, we love Mike. Please don't yell at Mike. Oh, we love him. (laughs) And so I said, oh, that's so interesting. That's sort of how how God is. Let's read. And so then we go to the Bible and we read The Good Shepherd and we talk about how sometimes we do the wrong thing and we'll make poor choices. Um, But God always wants to find us and God wouldn't yell at us. God loves us so much and God wants us to do the right thing. and so just to make it real for them, right? because I think right. so much of this church stuff can go, can go over their heads because it's not meeting them where they are right now. And so this is just making it real, making it tactile for them. They really have a sheep. So then now and when they hear that good shepherd story, they'll think of this. 
And not only their heads, I mean, adults' heads as well. We interpret things in different ways, and there is a lot to to break down. So I am sure that adults would appreciate <laughs> stories being broken down in that same way. Um, what about in your classroom? I know you have a calm down area. What does that look like? Oh, is that what I'm seeing behind you? Yes, right here, yeah. So in our in our calm down area, we call it the rest stop, but you okay. might call it something different in your classroom. Okay. I mean, people call it um, a, a cool down zone or a, um, a refill station, a recharge area, uh, but we call it the, the rest stop. And in our rest stop, we have lots of we have books about feelings. We have a feelings chart. Uh, we have a mirror, and some of the other things that we have in this little basket of of tools that we we talk about in our class that. If you're feeling a big feeling, if you're really angry, if you're really upset, if you're really sad, if you're really excited and you're being too silly, you can go and you can calm down in this area. It has soft pillows, but it also has a cross that is great for kids to hold. It has, um, I have a little statue of Mary that has a labyrinth on it. That's very, it's, you just follow the little labyrinth with your finger. Kids love that. Um, we have rosaries that are unbreakable. Uh, and so we have those and we say, you know, these are tools that we can use to help us calm down. We can look at this picture of God and we can think about God. We can talk to God while we're in this area. And that's just one, along with a mirror, along with a stuffy, along with books about feelings. These are things we can use to calm down. So kids start to associate religion items with a calm body, a calm heart, and with um, uh, a peaceful feeling. Which is which is what we want. I'm sure some of your teacher colleagues would like to use your calm down area at some point too. <laughs> I use it. And... I use it all the time. <laughs> I have to, well, we're always supposed to be modeling, right? So yes. sometimes I will feel frustrated. Today, a student filled a sink with water. Just oh. we have a bathroom in our classroom, and they plugged the stopper, and they just it was water everywhere. And I said, I am very frustrated, and so I need to go calm down. And so I went to my calm down area, and I sat and I looked at a book. <laughs> it's wild what we do, but it's it's helpful. And then they watch. And they're like, "Oh, yeah, Miss Crane's doing it too." We all we all should have an area like that in our homes. I'm sure we do. Like for me, I'll go take a minute in my room. You know, if if I'm feeling too angry or too upset about something, um, the tools that adults use might be different. Sometimes, right, you might right. need a glass of wine, <laughs> but in your in your calm down area, right? But, right. Um, yeah, but here at, here at school, this is a, a really helpful tool for kids. What about parents? I know you need to bring parents in as much as we can. And there's a lot to explain to our parents at this young age when they go home and talk about maybe the crucifix or learning about mm. Easter and things like that. So what does that look like for you in your classroom? Um, it is really hard. I think we, like a lot of Catholic schools, we are teaching to students who might not be Catholic and they might not be Catholic. They might not be Christian. They might not have ever been to mass. Um, and some of them might be Catholic, but not have gone to mass. So you, you're you teaching the students in front of you and you're not quite sure where they're, where they're at with that. Um, and so it's so important, I think, for, for you as a teacher. So you don't, so parents don't ask questions that you can't answer. Answer their questions before they ask them. Say yes, today... Yes. So in your, if you have a weekly newsletter, we, we have a weekly newsletter that comes out every Monday. Um, or if you have a class Instagram, we have a class Instagram. Um, 
just write a few sentences about what it is you're talking about at school and where you think the trouble points might be for parents, the confusion points might be. Um, and if it's very confusing, make a little video of it, have somebody film you teaching the lesson, um, and you can send that home with parents. If it's a, if it's an Easter lesson, if it is a very challenging lesson, make sure when we do Ash Wednesday, I write a letter. I write a letter home for all of early childhood that says, here is what the Ash Wednesday tradition is for Catholics. Like just a little little history for if you might not be Catholic, this is where we're coming from. This is what it means. Um, this is how your child will participate in it at our school. If you have any follow-up questions, please connect with me. But it just, it allows parents um, to put some tools in their pocket so that if their child comes home and says, today we learned that Jesus was dead, but alive. And then it, <laughs> it gives, it's, so parents don't get shocked and scared, it prepares them for the conversation. They say, oh, yes, I know. I, I saw that. And, you know, what what happens at the end of the story? You know, tell me more about that. And so to give parents maybe some follow-up resources might be helpful to direct them to a website if they have other questions or to direct them to you if you feel comfortable. But um, yeah, just making sure that parents are on the same page as you. It's very important. Highly recommend a um, an Instagram. That's been very beneficial this year. I think too, as teachers, we always appreciate when parents come to us and let us in on information that's going to be helpful to us in the classroom that day. Likewise, we need to do the same for our parents. Um, If we are truly partners and we are, and we respect them as the first teacher of their child, it's essential that we gift them with information so that we can work together the best we can and provide them with as much background as we can, because then then we're all on an even playing field and we can work together for that child. Um, absolutely important. All right. So the extra credit part, I know you're going to be great at this. <laughs> what is something you hope your students remember about your class? Something that we say every day at the end of every day is I have the students do this chant and they say, I am a leader. I am independent. And I hope that when they leave my class and I watch them go up through my oldest class is now in fifth grade. uh, And I hope that they carry that with them, that feeling of even when they were two years old, three years old, they have the opportunity to be a leader because they can be kind They have a lot of information at their disposal and they can be independent. And as soon as you can do something yourself, that gives you the ability to help others. And that's what a leader is. We talk about it every day in pre-K. And I hope that the work that we're doing now will be something that they remember and that they're, at least if not in their memory, they remember in their bodies, they remember in their brains when they're helping someone else when they're in seventh grade, you know? So that's something I hope they remember. I love it. What about your favorite childhood teacher and why? Oh, my favorite childhood teacher probably was a kindergarten teacher that I had. Um, Her name was Mrs. Krause. And I loved her because she sang everything. And that is something that I also do in my class. (laughs) Um, And she had a piano and she would sing all the time. And she would make up songs about whatever we were doing. And she was so creative and fun. And I also remember that she respected us. And I remembered in kindergarten it's hard to be respected by adults. Adults would often laugh and say that we were very cute and would kind of like laugh at the things that we would do. She took us very seriously. And I I will never forget that, that that was like my first experience of, wow, I am a person and I deserve respect. 
And so I think that that's, that's really great. I love it. Favorite scripture. Oh, my favorite scripture when I'm thinking about school, my favorite scripture for early childhood is my, is Elijah going to the cave and, you know, there's all these Elijah seeking God and, you know, there's a, there's a thunderstorm and there's a fire and there's an earthquake and all these huge things are happening, but God is not in the huge things. God is in the whisper. And so, you know, when I look at my, and my little two and three-year-olds in my classroom, I see how they are showing God within them in these little whispers and these little interactions in the way that they're learning to be human and the way they're connecting with each other and the love that they share. Um, that's how I see God in this whisper. We both understand the impact a strong foundational program can have on our students. How can we ensure that our early childhood programs, teachers, students are valued and taken seriously moving forward? Well, for the people teaching early childhood to listen to those students, really listen to them. And um, although they are very cute and they are very small and sometimes <laughs> the things they say are very silly, to, to show them that you care and to show them that you are listening, to model the way that you want them to be towards you. So, you know, we should never be shouting at a child be quiet because you yourself are not being quiet. Um, but I would say uh, in addition to that, these are all things that, you know, if you've worked in early childhood long enough, you would know these things. But I would say it's so easy being an early childhood teacher to kind of give up a little bit because it's it's hard to be taken seriously. I, I'm, I work at a school where everyone is very lovely and we go up through eighth grade um, and when you are an eighth grade teacher, you're dealing with different problems and you're dealing with different um, different students in front of you. And so when they walk by my classroom, I think what a lot of early childhood teachers feel is everybody just thinks we're playing all day and we're not. <laughs> and we are doing so much work. It is so much work. And I think if I were to advise teachers, be proud of the work that you do and know how important it is and tell others what you're doing. If somebody calls you a babysitter, don't accept it. <laughs> do not accept it. Say, no, no, actually, this is this is what I do. And explain how important these years of education are, um, how important they are, and how these are the, these, if we do a, a good job here, we're going to have better people in eighth grade who are not going to be bullies. We're going to have more um, well-rounded, interested, and kind high school students. We're going to have people who are, thoughtful voters. We're going to have people who are, we're going to, we're going to have great well-rounded adults if we do a good job now. So the work that we do is, is vital. Um, and so I would just tell people don't give up. I like it. Don't give up. Yeah. Any shout outs you have today? Um, sure. Yeah. I, I have a shout out. Uh, one of the programs that we collaborate with through Boston college is, um, is called the church in the 21st century center. And if you give it a Google, they are an incredible program where they, they have all these little series for, for teachers, for kids, for parents, for catechists. Um, and so one of the things, it just passed actually, but you can still do it. Um, they had national, uh, international drawing God day. And so yes, um, yes. there is a book that goes along with it. There is There are resources available online that you could do this with your class. It's a very fun activity that you could do it through pre-K through middle school. Uh, it just is a way of uh, talking to kids about how they see God. And it's, it, 
brings up some really amazing conversations in the classroom. Um, also on there, there is, um, we used to do a program during COVID called Breakfast with God, where um, myself and a priest would facilitate a, um, a Sunday morning gospel catechetical program where um, it mirrored uh, a liturgy. So um, we had a, 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 the readings, the homily, and then I would tie it in with a children's book, a craft um, and then we would all pray together. And there are scripts on how to do that um, breakfast with God on the church in the 21st century website. So I would say certainly explore those things. Um, yeah. And I would, I would talk to if you, if your school is affiliated with a parish, talk to your parish priest about potentially getting over there and having a tour of the church, doing a field trip to the church. I think that's a great resource. Um, use what you have. And so I think these are some really great free resources that you have sort of probably at your disposal. Absolutely. Those are wonderful resources to know about. Thank you for that. It has been a joy to speak with you, Anne. Um, I've learned so much through our conversations. Now, um, listeners, I challenge you to share this podcast with all your early childhood and elementary colleagues and administrators. And if you happen to be in Brighton, Massachusetts, you may want to stop in for a little reader's theater. And I hear they may be looking for like Mary or Jesus in the nativity area. You never know. Yeah. <laughs> so you thank you know. to our- Might be looking for, maybe you know where Mike the sheep is. <laughs> yes, yes. If you find Mike, bring him back. Thank yes. you to our MCEA <laughs> podcast listeners. Don't forget the most valuable resource we have is each other. Do you or someone you know have something worth sharing? Let us know at NCEA. We could be visiting your diocese and introducing you as our next podcast guest. Thank you very much. Music.